Hi, I'm Nikki, and here's a few things that are coming up here at Crossroads. The Evansville Rescue Mission is having their annual Drumstick Dash on Saturday, November 12th. This is a great event that supports a local ministry and their efforts to reach the lost and broken here in our community. They're having both a one mile and an 8K run walk starting at 8 a.m. at the Evansville Rescue Mission. To sign up, just go online to evansvillerescuemission.org. On Thursday, October 13th at 11 a.m., the Senior Adult Ministry is having a fall Southern Gospel Hymn Sing. It's a fun way to hear some great songs and have some fun with friends. The event is free for everyone and it'll be in the chapel. We can't wait to see you there. If you're new to Crossroads or are simply looking for a way to get connected and learn more about our Crossroads family, come check out Starting Point. Starting Point is a class that meets on the first Sunday of the month at 10.15 a.m. and the third Saturday at 6.45 p.m. During this casual 30-minute session, you'll learn some of the ways you can get connected and meet other members of your Crossroads family. Don't delay. Join us at the next Starting Point, October 15th. Child care is provided, so stop on in and get to know Crossroads. To RSVP, just go online to cccgo.com slash next steps. For more information on these events and the many others that are happening here at Crossroads, you can check your bulletin or go online to cccgo.com. Whether we know it or not, just about all of us have a natural tendency to run away from God. We may choose to run from God because we fear what he may think about things we've done in our past. We may run towards things in which we place a higher importance or value more than our relationship with God. We may run down a path that has us go through a predefined set of motions or blindly follow a set of rules that we think will bring us closer to God, but that actually ends up being a substitute for a real relationship with him. In the book of Hosea, God uses the troubled relationship between a man and his wife to illustrate the fact that he is patiently pursuing us, no matter what we've done or how far we have run. God loves us regardless of how many times we've said to him, catch me if you can. Well, for the past month or so, we've been in this series where we have been using this metaphor of running to describe how a lot of us interact with God at different moments in our life. And, and we've learned that we all have our own way of running from God, right? And, and whatever, however that looks for us, we all have our own personal reasons for why we're running from God. Now, I have no idea, to tell you the truth, what your list looks like this morning of why maybe you have chosen to turn your back on God or reject him at different moments in our life, but we all have our reasons. We all think that we have our justifications, right? Now, I don't know your story. I don't know what you bring to the table, but my experience has been that more often than not, a lot of people tend to run from God because they fear that he won't accept them for who they are. We fear being rejected, right? I mean, does anybody here ever just volunteer to be excluded or rejected from anybody or something? Yeah, nobody, right? In fact, I'll never forget the first time that my wife, Savannah, and I said I love you to each other when we were dating in high school. It was a very special moment. You know, that's a very significant thing to say to one another. And, and so late one night, we were watching a movie. Well, about halfway through the movie, Savannah leaned over and whispered, I love you, right in my ear. Again, that was the first time that either one of us said it to each other. And she was really vulnerable. She didn't know how I was going to respond in that moment. And so how did this Don Juan Casanova, what did he say back to her? I turned to her and I said, shh, I'm trying to watch the movie here. Besides, we shouldn't be saying that right now in our relationship anyways. <laughs> 
I mean, she should have slapped me or kicked me, right? Now, I would be willing to bet that if she knew that I was going to respond that way, that she probably wouldn't have mustered up the courage to tell me in that moment that she loved me. Because again, nobody volunteers to be rejected. We all avoid circumstances and people that make us feel where we know we'll be felt left out. and Nobody wants to feel worthless, right? And so we all come in here today with maybe some past that we're not proud of. Maybe you're not really proud of who you've become in life. You've arrived at this season where you're making choices that you always thought that you would avoid. You never thought that you would be doing this. You just aren't proud of who you are. You've got stuff that if it were exposed, that it would cause you a lot of embarrassment and shame, right? And so whatever that part of your life looks like, we take that, and this is how we typically respond to God in return. We run from him. It causes us shame. We think that he's going to reject us, and so what we end up doing is we run the opposite direction. Doesn't that describe a lot of our stories? And so in this series, what we've been doing is we have been walking through a book in the Bible called Hosea. It's found in the Old Testament. And and all throughout this story, all throughout this book, uh, God illustrates his love for his people by chasing after them, by pursuing them in their rebellion. And God basically says, hey, you can't outrun me. No matter what you do, I'm still going to run faster and further than you. And so if you have your Bibles or Bible app, I want you to go ahead and turn to the Old Testament book of Hosea. Uh, If you don't own a Bible, there is a black one right in front of you. You. That's our gift to you. Go ahead and take it home with you. Hosea can be found right in the middle of the Bible, uh, right in between the books of Daniel and Joel in the Old Testament. If you're worshiping with us back in the chapel, it's right on that table as you walked in uh, just a moment ago. Uh, today we're going to be in chapter 14, and uh, this is the last chapter in the book of Hosea. And this is God's final call, his final plea, his final effort to run after his people. Now, when we refer to God's people, we're also talking about the Jews the Jewish people, the Israelites, all right, all the same people, all the same, uh, we're talking about the same people when, when we refer to them, all right? Now, just to catch you up to speed, all throughout this book, the Israelites were trying to run from God, but God kept trying to pursue them. And so as a way to illustrate his love for them, as a way to illustrate how far he was willing to go, God told one of his messengers, a guy by the name of Hosea, to go out and marry a prostitute by the name of Gomer, and he instructed Hosea to keep taking Gomer back no matter how many one night stands she had on him behind his back. And regardless of how unfaithful she was to him, he was to keep welcoming her home. And so God, by doing this, was illustrating his faithfulness in spite of our adultery, in spite of our infidelity, in spite of our unfaithfulness to him. God was saying, hey, I will be faithful. I will pursue you. I will chase you. And so where we pick up today, chapter 14, this is God's final plea for his people to turn towards him and run his direction. Check out uh, verse 1. Here's what God says. He says, return Israel to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Now, before God described any further what he offered, he called for the Jews to stop right where they were in their run and to return back home to him. Now, the most common image in Hosea for what it looks like to return to the Lord, no matter how long and how long we've been away, no matter how far we've drifted, is this picture of coming back home. The home God provides is is waiting for us, but we don't just end up there by accident. I mean, we don't just wake up one morning and bam, we're home right where God needs us. 
No, turning towards God happens through something called repentance. Repentance is a fancy Bible word that simply means to change directions. All right, you're headed one way, you make a U-turn with your life. And we looked at this last week. Now notice right here in verse 1 how God referred to himself as the Lord your God. It's very personal to the Israelites right here. This was God's way of saying, hey, look, I'm with you. Even in those moments when you look back and it seemed as if I had been far from you, I was with you the entire time. I am yours. I will continue to be here for you. Now, the most shocking picture of God's relentless pursuit of his people was when Hosea's wife had hit rock bottom. One morning, Hosea woke up in an empty bed only to find a note from Gomer that said, I've left and I'm never coming back home. Now, from that, more, uh, from that morning, Hosea was a single dad to three kids. Two of those kids were more than likely not even his own. And so Gomer lived on her own for a while as she worked as a sex slave in the red light district of their city. Well, after some time passes, Hosea learned where Gomer was living and working. And even when the law, catch this, even when the law gave him the right, gave him permission to have her killed, to have her stoned, God told Hosea to welcome her back home, even though that was a place she didn't deserve to be. Yet in that moment, we see that it was an illustration of what God is willing to do for us, no matter what our past looks like. Now, time out here for just a minute. That may be a really different perspective of a God that, that you were taught to believe at a young age. I mean, maybe the God that you have fostered in your mind would have stormed into the strip club and would have chewed Gomer out for her choices and the lifestyle that she was living, right? Or maybe the God that you learned about as a kid would have stood across the street from the brothel holding up signs that said, God hates prostitutes, prostitutes go to hell. And so is it possible is it possible that you've been running from a God that has been mis misrepresented? I mean, here's the thing. If you're going to run from God, at least know and completely understand who it is that you're running from. Check out uh, verse 2 in our text. God describes what it looks like for us to turn around and change directions. He says, take words with you. He's giving the Jews a script of what to say to him, of what it looks like to repent. Take these words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all of our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Now, right here, God called the Israelites to confess their sin, to acknowledge that they had done wrong and to not make excuses, to not justify their past. Now, for some reason, if we're honest with ourselves, this is really tough for us to do, right? I mean, to acknowledge that we did something that we shouldn't have, especially if we've been caught. And, and I've learned that as a parent, you don't have to train your kids how to blame. You don't have to train your kids how to justify something wrong that they've done, Right? Uh, just last week, uh, my wife Savannah was uh, on the phone one morning in our living room. She was looking out into our backyard where our two oldest kids were playing on the driveway. John Ryman and Vera, our two oldest. And, and John Ryman was riding his bike when all of a sudden our new adopted kitten came out from our shed and walked towards our kids. Just at that moment in time, John Ryman got off his bike, went over and picked up. The kids named her Cheer, by the way. That's an affectionate name for a cat, apparently. John Ryman went over and picked up cheer, and then all of a sudden, Savannah could hear faintly through the glass. He turned to his sister and said, hey, watch this. 
John Ryman proceeded to take Cheer above his head and hold her like a trophy, all right? He then starts spinning around in circles like this. He then said, hey, check this out. He proceeded to walk over to our fence that's about six feet high that separates our yard from our neighbor's yard, begins swinging Cheer back and forth like this. There's no telling what our cat is thinking at this point in time. I mean, PetSmart would not have allowed us to adopt this cat if they knew that this was going to happen, all right? <laughs> so uh, after a few times of doing this, once momentum was in his favor, he released our poor kitten into the air. The cat went sailing into the neighbor's yard as John Ryman went, Wee! here we go. <laughs> well, Savannah was horrified, and so she immediately got off the phone, ran outside, and she, I guess she expected for John Ryman to be embarrassed that he had been caught. And so when Savannah said to JR, hey, what were you thinking? Why did you do that? Here's what he said. He said, well, Daddy told me that she was going to land on her feet. <laughs> and so if you find a black tabby cat wandering into yard, will you call me? Because we haven't seen her since, all right? <laughs> Now, what John Ryman didn't say in that moment was, oh, no, I shouldn't have done that. Will you forgive me? Or, I can't believe that you saw what I did. I, I knew I shouldn't have done it. I am so sorry. No, he didn't say that. Instead, he dished blame. He dished out responsibility. And that was a really bad night for me between me and my wife, thanks to John Ryman selling me out there. And that kind of describes how we typically respond whenever we do something that we know that we shouldn't do. We, we don't want to own it, Right? Because we believe that for some reason, somehow it's going to lessen who we are, that people won't respect us, love us, or accept us any longer. Confessing our flaws might shatter that image that people have of us. Check out verse 3. God says Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in the Father, for in you the fatherless find compassion. Verse 4, God then says, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. <clears throat> now I want you to notice how God promised to not only love his people, but, but he would heal them from all their scars and wounds from their past, from all their sin, from living far from him. Now the Lord told the Jews that if they turned back towards him, that he would allow them to be a part of this thing that we've looked at in this series called a covenant. A covenant was this ancient practice that binded, that brought together two parties, two nations, two tribes or, or families, all right? Several generations before the time of Hosea, God had established a covenant with a man by the name of Abraham who was the father of the Jewish people. And, and in that moment, in that covenant, God basically told Abraham, hey, you will be my people. I will bless your descendants. I will always be with you, all right? I will be your God, you will be my people. I will always be with you, God told Abraham. But this covenant realized it was only the beginning of something much greater. Now, in a way, this sounds odd, but it was designed to fail from the beginning. The main problem under this covenant, under this agreement, was that the Jews could only find temporary forgiveness of sin. Now, under this system, you were required to frequently sacrifice your best animals. Sin brings about death. It's also a withdrawal. Therefore, something or someone has to pay for it. But in verse 4, 
Right here, God hinted towards a new, better agreement, a new, better deal that he would make with his people where people could experience lasting freedom and lasting forgiveness. And so catch this, roughly seven and a half centuries later, God followed through with his promise right here, and he provided his son Jesus to be that sufficient sacrifice that could offer people forgiveness of sin, everything in our past, our present, and our future. Now, this new covenant says that peace with God can be found not in what you do, because that's impossible, but peace with God can be found in what's already been done. Now, the back half of the Bible, sometimes referred to as the New Testament, uh, records for us what ended up uh, people's response whenever this new covenant was made available to everybody. And, and so we read in the Bible that right after Jesus crashed his funeral, after being dead for about three days, he, he gathered his closest friends and followers all together, and he said, hey, look, I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go up to heaven, and as I do that, your job and your responsibility is to tell everyone everywhere about this new covenant that I have paid for, all right? People don't, people don't have to walk in bondage. People can walk in freedom. People can find forgiveness, all right? But that's a gift that they need to decide to open themselves. And so your job is to go out and tell as many people as possible about this. And so one of Jesus' closest friends, a guy by the name of Peter, took Jesus really seriously. A couple days later, after Jesus went back up to heaven, he and some of the, the close um, followers, early followers in the day, were all huddled together in a house. They didn't know what this was going to look like. They just thought, okay, we're... We've got to start telling people about this. And, and they were located right in the busy city of Jerusalem. Thousands of people were all gathered around. Peter steps outside this house and he begins telling people about this new covenant. He just opens his mouth. He doesn't really know what he's saying, but, but he preaches the very first sermon that, that started the church, the very first talk that started the church gathering. And so his message that day basically went like this. It was rather offensive. He said, hey, you know that Jesus guy that walked these streets over a month ago? Yeah, he was the son of God. He was God in the form of flesh. And do you remember what you did to him? Do you remember what you called for him? You had him killed. You crucified him. But Peter says, God, God's not mad at you. And... Somebody in the crowd that day, we don't know who it is, spoke up and said, we, we didn't know. What, what do we need to do? And so Peter said back to them, well, well first of all, you, you need to stop running from God. You need to rethink your life. In other words, you need to repent. You need to change directions. And then Peter said, you need to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy, and the Holy Spirit, so that you can find this forgiveness that Jesus offers and provides. And the Bible tells us that about 3,000 men that day said, you know what, I'm in on that deal. That's the best thing I'll ever be offered. My past doesn't have to weigh against me. Count me in. And so people were baptized that day. And that baptism, that moment, it was a significant benchmark in their faith, signifying that they had chosen to be with Jesus, that they had received this purification that was from God, that, that their past no longer defined who they were. Now, obviously, we are going to give you that opportunity to be baptized today at the end of this service, all right? Spoiler alert, that's where we're headed with this, all right? Don't want you to be caught off guard. But, but before some of us decide maybe to take that step in our journey, if you've never been baptized before, if you've been running from God for a really long time, it's really important that you understand exactly why this is a significant step. What is baptism all about? Why do I need to take this step, all right? And so to help us understand this a little bit more, I'm just going to ask you three basic questions that will generate a yes or no response from you, all right? 
Now, it'll be a very personal question. The answer to this question is between you and God. So I just want to challenge you to be really honest, to be ruthlessly honest with yourself, okay? You don't need to feel shame with this, but be honest about the answer to these questions because your answer to these questions will determine if baptism is the next step that you need to take in your walk with Jesus. First question goes like this. Do you admit that you've been running the wrong direction? Do you admit that you've been running the wrong direction? Now, the truth is you won't stop running from God unless you realize that there's a problem with where your life is headed. And again, the very problem that stands between us and God is a thing called sin. One of the original words for sin in the Greek language in the New Testament, that New Testament was first written in, literally means to miss the mark. You see, in the ancient world, it was an archery term that described an arrow that had missed the target. Now, if we're honest, all of us have missed the target multiple times in our life. You see, we are actually born with this uncontainable nature to miss the target, to sin. Look at how a guy named Paul put it in Romans chapter 5. He said, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, he's talking about our first father, a guy by the name of Adam, and death through sin, death is the result of sin, it's what we deserve, and in the way, death came to all people. We deserve death because all of sin. We've all sinned, all right? Now, even if you would consider yourself a relatively good person, deep down, you know that something is off about you, right? I mean, something is broken within us that desperately needs to be fixed. And and if you would even challenge that, if you would challenge me right now, let me just ask you, have you ever felt lonely before? Have you ever felt empty? Have you ever felt like, man, I, I don't have enough, I need more of something? Have you ever felt like you needed to prove yourself? Have you ever just done something in order to get the approval of someone in your life? You see, we've all been there. We've all done that. Why? Because something isn't whole within us. We are broken. And so our sin problem has caused a debt between God and us. Now, here's the thing. Jesus has offered you forgiveness for everything that you've done, everything that you are doing, and everything that you will do in the future. That's the good news. He's got you covered no matter what. But understand that it literally cost him his life. You see, on the cross, Jesus absorbed all of God's wrath and judgment that was headed our way because of our rebellion, because of our sin. You see, the cross of Jesus tells us that the sin we can't forget is the very sin that God can't even remember. And Jesus took it upon his body himself. This past week, I read about a doctor down in Tennessee who works at a mental hospital. And and as he was being interviewed about his career, he said something in there that caught my attention. He said, you know, I could dismiss half of my patients within one week if I could somehow assure them that they had been forgiven for what they had done in their past. Let me just ask you, would you stop running if that could be true for you as well? I mean, if you could be assured that you no longer need to be in bondage to what happened, that who you were doesn't need to be who you are in the future, that you can find forgiveness, would things look a little bit differently for you? Would you stop running? Tammy Fisher's been attending our church on and off for several years, and she would tell you that for most of her life she's been running from God, and she's experienced a lot of hurt, a lot of wounds, a lot of suffering in her life. She's lost a child. She's gone through divorce. And so as a way to medicate herself, as a way to escape from reality, she has gotten into drugs. She's uh, abused alcohol. She's had thoughts of suicide at different points in her life. She's just jumped from relationship to relationship. And and that's kind of been her way to deal with her brokenness, right? 
Well, in 2015, she just totally broke down when her father died. And before she ended, before she was going to end her life, she said, you know what? I'm going to do one last thing as a last resort option. I'm going to call out to Jesus. And so one evening, that's exactly what she did. And she described that moment to me as a weight that had been lifted from her. She said, I, I, was, searching some, I was searching for something my whole life that I had right beside me the entire time. A couple weeks later, Tammy was baptized right there in that baptistry. Now, you might think, you know what, that, that's just, that was just a fix. Jesus was just kind of a cop-out for Tammy. And I mean, was that real? I mean, she would tell you to this day that the freest moment of her entire life was when she finally admitted that she was broken, that she didn't have it all together. And yet she called out to the one who promises to save her, to release her, and to give her freedom. And I know that that's many of our stories in here today, and that's a decision that a lot of us need to make. And so when we are baptized, we are proclaiming this newfound identity that we have in Christ. We're proclaiming the freedom that we've been given because of what he's done. Here's my second question for you. It goes like this. Do you need a better way to live? Do you need a better way to live? Now, you should know that this question may not be asking what you think. I doubt that any of us would say no to this, right? I mean, nobody would say, no, you know, I'm I'm good. Yet few people are really willing to do what it takes in order to live the better life that Jesus promises and provides. You see, when you are baptized, you are promising and proclaiming that Jesus is not only your Savior, he's not only saved you from your sin, but he's also your Lord. He's also your boss and your master. Paul wrote in Romans chapter, three, or Romans chapter 6, verse 3, he said, Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? Now, if you think about it, that image couldn't be more apparent in baptism. If you've ever watched a baptism before, you're underwater for a brief moment. You're not breathing, all right, and you're resting in the strength of someone else. It's a humbling act. I mean, water has a way of washing away mascara, foundation, hairspray, and toupees. And that's true for ladies, too, all right? In the New Testament... The Greek word for baptism is the word baptizo, and it literally means full immersion. And so in the Bible, baptism was always an act that an individual would do as they went completely beneath the water after they made a conscious choice to believe in and to follow Jesus. Now, you can't make that decision for someone else. You can't say, hey, I want that person to be saved. It's a decision that they personally must make. But when an individual in the Bible did make that choice, rarely was that decision separated from baptism. It was always one step. It was always one act. Now, I've told you before that I grew up in a very Catholic family over in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, if you don't believe me, I was named after a pope, all right? My full name is John Patrick Paul Garcia. I've got you beat, Catholics, all right? Just saying. <clears throat> well, when I was three months old, my parents had uh, our priest sprinkle me in our church at the time. And I got to tell you that I am incredibly grateful for that moment in my life because you know what? My parents were doing the best that they could, and they were telling me and our church at the time, we want our son Patrick, our youngest here, to grow up to follow Jesus. That's our way of, of directing him towards Christ. Now, years later, our family switched to a church much like Crossroads in the Louisville area. And, and when I was older, I realized that I couldn't just inherit faith from my parents. I couldn't just absorb it from them, but I literally needed to make it my own. And so when I said, yes, Jesus is my Lord, he is my Savior, when I personally called out to him, I was baptized by immersion. 
Now, it might appear that when I was baptized by immersion that I was kind of disregarding what my parents did for me when I uh, was a baby in the Catholic Church, but it wasn't that at all. In fact, my parents later told me, Patrick, you weren't nullifying your infant baptism in the Catholic Church. You were only completing that which we started in you. We wanted you in that moment to grow up to love Jesus, and by being baptized later in life, you were completing that decision by owning the faith, your, owning the faith yourself. And so many of us who grew up in Catholic or Presbyterian or Methodist or Episcopalian churches who were maybe sprinkled as a baby, we have to make that choice as well. We can't just inherit faith from our mom and dad and grandparents. Thank you for what you did for me. But will you decide to follow Jesus yourself? And if your answer is yes, then be baptized. Because that's what would please Jesus. Jesus was baptized, and and whenever we are immersed, we are literally following him into the waters of baptism. Now realize that this is a decision between you and Christ. You were baptized into Christ. Notice that the Bible doesn't say that you're baptized into a church. You're not baptized into a denomination or into a specific pastor. Thank God for that. You're baptized into Jesus. Why? Because only Jesus can save us. A pastor, a church, a denomination, attendance at church can't save you. Only Christ can. That's why when you're baptized, you're baptized into what he has already done for you. And so this is a decision that maybe you need to make today. Jesus comes to you and he says, look, I've chosen you by going to the cross in your place. Do you choose me? My last question for you is simply this. Do you want what you don't deserve? Do you want what you don't deserve? In scripture, we're told that our sin makes us deserving of death, punishment, and judgment, but it doesn't have to be that way. Because Jesus rose back to life, we're offered a new life in exchange for our old life. In other words, victory can be ours. We no longer have to be enslaved. Look at how Paul wrote it in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. He said, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Anybody in here want a new life? Anybody in here sick of rehearsing that moment or that night or that relationship? When you step into the waters of baptism, you are obtaining a new life. Two chapters later, Paul wrote that there is no condemnation or punishment remaining for those who have placed their faith in Christ, who have called out to Jesus. Now, a lot of us who are running from God want this more than we realize. But our problem is, I've been there before, I've been open about it in this series. Our problem is that we think that this deal, this grace is just too good to be true. I mean, grace is for other people. Grace is for that person beside me, but it's not really for me. You ever thought that? I recently came across a uh, short fiction called The Prince and the Dragon, written by psychologist Melinda Ranke. And as I I read it in the moment, I, I wondered if it might describe a lot of us in here more than we're willing to admit. And so I just want to read you how the story goes. There once was a great noble king whose land was terrorized by a crafty dragon. He ravaged villages with his fiery breath. Hapless victims ran from their burning homes only to be snatched into the dragon's jaws or talons. The king led his sons and knights in many valiant battles against the serpent. Well, one afternoon, one of the king's sons was on horseback journeying through the forest when he heard his name called. In the shadows of the ferns and trees lay the dragon. And the dragon said to the prince, don't be alarmed. I am not what your father thinks that I am. What are you then? asked the prince. 
while nervously drawing his sword as he kept his fearful horse from bolting. I am pleasure, said the dragon. Ride on my back and you'll experience more than you've ever imagined. Come now, I have no harmful intentions for you. Well, visions of soaring high above the forested hills drew the prince hesitantly from his horse. The, the prince crawled onto the dragon's rigid back until he found a secure seat. Then the creature's powerful wings snapped twice and, and they immediately launched up into the sky. In the air, the dragon wafted effort, effortlessly on the wind streams. The prince's apprehension immediately just melted away into all an exhilaration. From then on, he met the dragon often, but secretly, for how could he tell his father, his brothers, his family members, or all the knights that he had befriended the enemy? And so over, the time, over time, the prince felt separate from them all. You ever been there before? Isn't that some of our stories? After many nights of riding, he discovered scales growing on the back of his hands and his legs. With dread, he realized his fate were he to continue. And, and so he resolved to return no more to the dragon. But after a, after a time, he again sought out the dragon, having been tortured with desire, realizing that he couldn't stay away. No matter what his determination was, the prince eventually found himself pulled back to the dragon to ride on his back at night. Well, one cold, moonless night, their excursion became a foray against a sleeping village. Torching the thatched roofs with fiery blasts from his nostrils, the dragon roared with delight when terrified victims fled from the burning, burning homes. The prince closed his eyes tightly and clung miserably to his spiny perch. On well, the pre-dawn hours, when, when the prince crept back from his ride, terrified refugees streamed into the protective walls of the castle. The prince walked among the beraggled women carrying wailing children with gashes from the dragon's talons. The prince's heart was torn. I mean, their pain brought tears to his eyes and shame to his soul. What have, what have, I, what have I become, he asked himself. Again, you ever asked that before? At that moment, he wanted even more desperately to be free of the dragon. Perhaps his father in all his wisdom could help. But the prince feared that the truth would make his father disappointed. I mean, surely if he told the king what he had been doing, that he would be disowned, he would be exiled, or perhaps even condemned to death because he had befriended the enemy. And so the prince attempted to slip through the crowd to close himself in his chambers, but then some of the survivors stared and pointed towards him. He was there, one woman cried out. I saw him on the back of the dragon. Others nodded their heads in angry agreement. While well, horrified, the prince saw that the father, his, the king, was in the courtyard holding a bleeding child in his arms. The king's face mirrored the agony of his people as his eyes found the prince's eyes. And so the son ran. Again, that's where a lot of us are. He fled. He hoped to escape into the night, but the guards apprehended him. They brought him to the great hall where his father sat solemnly on the throne. The people on every side railed against the prince. Banish him, they shouted. He heard one of his own brothers angrily cry out, burn him alive. Other voices demanded his death, demanded that something be done. As the king rose from his throne... Bloodstains from the wounded shone darkly on his royal robes. The crowd fell silent in expectation, wanting to know what was going to happen next. What was the king going to say to his son? The prince could not bear to look in his father's eyes, so he just stared at the ground. And the father, the king, said to his son, Take off your gloves and take off your tunic. Well, the prince obeyed slowly. 
He dreaded to have his scales uncovered before the entire kingdom. I mean, what's his shame? Not already great enough. He had hoped for a quick death without further humiliation. Sounds of revulsion rippled through the crowd at the sight of the prince's thick scaled skin and the ridge growing along his spine. The king strode towards his son and the prince braced himself, fully expecting a backhanded blow. Instead, his father embraced him and wept as he held him tightly. In shocked disbelief, the prince buried his face against his father's shoulder. Do you wish to be freed of the dragon, my son? The prince answered in despair, I have wished it many times, but there is no hope for me, father. I am no longer your son. I am half beast. I think that's obvious to us all. And he sobbed. But then the king, the good father, replied to him by saying this. Oh, son, my blood runs through your veins. My nobility has always been stamped deep within your soul. Nothing can take that away from you. And with his face still hidden in his father's embrace, the prince heard the king instruct the crowd, the dragon is crafty. There will be mercy for all who wish to be freed. Who else has ridden the dragon before? So the prince was in utter shock when he lifted his head to see Someone emerged from the crowd to his amazement. He recognized an older brother, the one who had been lauded throughout the entire kingdom for his many good deeds. Others came, some weeping, others hanging their heads in shame. The sister who was known, catch this, for her beautiful singing, came tearfully removing her slippers to reveal the spiked scales on her feet. The king embraced them all. And then the king said, to those of us who have been ensnared, you must desire freedom more than the dragon's flight. The struggle will be long and fierce. Over time, you will choose more often against the dragon than for him until you finally go to him no more. Well, will the scales then be gone as well, asked the sister, looking at her barred feet. No, my child, the king answered gently. But in time. The scales will fail, and one day when the dragon is finally slain, all traces of the scales will disappear. Someone then yelled from the crowd with a great cheer and rose up in a chorus, Long live the king. Long live the king. Now, I can't speak for you, but that's my story. You see, I've got scars, I've got scales, don't you? I mean, I've done things that have caused me shame. I've not always been proud of who I've become But you see, even when I didn't deserve it, King Jesus embraced me. A guy by the name of Paul, he said it like this again in Romans. He said, when we were utterly helpless, when we were still God's enemies, Christ came at just the right time and he died for us sinners. He died for all of us who have ridden the dragon at night thinking that no one saw. And so the question for you today is this, are you ready to be free? Is your shame and guilt too much to carry? You may not know it yet, but you have nothing to fear because the king's blood runs through your veins. But this means that you have to stop running from God and you have to turn around. You have to choose the deal that's on the table. You must decide to call upon the name of Jesus. And so if that's a decision that you don't want to put off any longer, then we want to invite you to be baptized today. If you've never been baptized, maybe you don't remember your baptism. If you were baptized maybe for all the wrong reasons and you're ready to repent of your sin, turn towards Jesus and make him your Lord and Savior, then today is your day. We know that all of you didn't come prepared to be baptized today. We had eight people last night come forward. They had no idea walking in that they were going to make that decision. That's okay. We've got you covered. 
We have towels, t-shirts, shorts, and clean underwear. What is worse than having wet underwear in church, right? (laughs) Both baptistries are heated. We have professional photographers taking photos of every baptism. We'll send you a video clip of your baptism to show your family members that maybe aren't here today. We've got hair dryers, hairspray, makeup, deodorant, and all toiletry needs. And if you're afraid of crowds, this this describes a lot of us. If you're afraid of crowds, suppose you won $25,000 during the halftime show at a Colts game. Would you let the fear of crowds keep you from walking forward and claiming the prize that was yours? And yet how much greater of a debt has been paid on our behalf because of what Jesus has done? Who's going to baptize you? Well, I don't know. We'll have pastors back there. I can baptize you. Or how about the person that brought you today? How about a family member? How about someone that's been influential? Anybody can baptize you. Now, if I'm talking right to you, rather than you coming to us down front, we're going to come to you scattered all throughout this room here in just a moment. There will be volunteers in orange-colored shirts ready to receive you and walk you backstage. You're not in this alone. All you need to do is simply step out of your rows, head into the aisle towards someone wearing an orange shirt once the music plays here in just a minute, and they will take, they will take care of you. They will walk you backstage. They'll, they'll walk you to your dressing room, guide you through everything that you need to do. So whatever worry, fear, anxiety that you might have, they will address it. Don't delay this decision. Decide to follow Jesus today. And so if I'm talking right to you, I want you to make this prayer right now, your conversation with God. I can't pray for you, but I can give you the language that maybe you need to have a conversation, in the conversation you need to have with God right now. And so then when I say amen and the music begins to play, you just make your way towards a person wearing an orange shirt to walk you backstage, and then we're going to have a party, we're going to celebrate, and we're going to celebrate what the king has done on our behalf. All right? Let me pray, and then uh, we'll, we'll do this. Lord, a lot of us walk in here today um, broken and knowing that we can't save ourselves. God, I have sinned. I have blown it. I've made a mess of my life, and yet you keep taking me back. You give me what I don't deserve. And I know that that's a lot of our stories in here. And so, God, we embrace and we accept what you have done on our behalf, and we just say thank you. Lord, help us to celebrate now as we unite our lives with yours and we run after that new life that you promised to give us when we're baptized. For it's in Christ's name that we pray and gather. Amen.